Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to another episode of The Breakdown. This week, we have a PSA on the PSA, meaning we're going to talk about the biggest news with an agreement that could forever change the sport of squash. We're also going to dive into one of Bill's favorite foods, pizza. So this is big. And stay tuned for the end, where we get into Bill's favorite segment of this show with the fan follow-up. And hear what some fans had to say about our episode on Buffalo Wings. A quick thank you again to our sponsor, Baya Sports. They are both Bill and mine's favorite squash shoe ever because they feel great and they look great. And one of those big no-nos is we do sometimes wear them outside the house just because we like them so much. So go to buyasports.us and check out their newest Force X. That's B-I-A sports.us. By the way, if you want to skip to the squash talk portion of this breakdown, go ahead and skip about 24 minutes from this point. We hope you enjoy the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. All right, Bill. As always, our little creative endeavor here. You're really great at coming up with names. You want to give the quick take on the, the name for this episode? This was a tough one. Um, I, I think we're going to come up with, this is a PSA on the PSA. And we're going to talk about pizza sponsorship agreements. I love it. Thoughts? I, I mean, I thought it was good. So you ready? Let's roll. Hey, before we roll, could I give a PSA just saying that I may or may not have had just slightly too much rye last night and thus uh, brain working a little slow and but voice voice at an all-time high quality. Another okay. little PSA. The third PSA. Let's roll. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor O'Malley, and my favorite co-host of this show, Bill Buckingham. Welcome. Good morning, Connor. How are you this morning? Doing okay. This is The Breakdown number six. Number six and a, a first also in The Breakdown, a Saturday morning recording session. We've done we've done midweek. Um, we've done Sunday Super Bowl Sunday morning, and now we're doing a Saturday morning and a all-time early hour, uh, a, a pre-10 o'clock recording. So after after what is, for someone my age, a pretty late night out. So um, we're ro- rolling the dice, rolling the dice, if you were, if, as you were, if you will. See, there you go. It's going to be a rough one. Let's go. Let's well, let's, po- let's power through this. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this one. For yes. uh, I always look forward to it, but especially yes. you know with this sort of uh, preface going into it, I think this is an advisory warning to all the listeners out there. A PSA, uh, a PSA. So yeah, we're going to talk uh, about the Professional uh, Squash Association and the, uh, the landmark deal that was struck, and we're going to get into more details there. But before we do, are you going to say we're not going to do that first? We're not going to get in front of that. Oh, that's a good joke. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, it's that's a little teaser right there. But before that, we're going to do continue the ratings and rankings segment that we do. And today we're going to talk about pizza. Yes, yes. And, and believe me, right now I could go for a, a, a nice slice of pie. So, yeah, looking forward to this part uh, so, all, all morning. So just to orient this, because you, you do have a lot of favorites Mm-hmm. And it sometimes gets hard to distinguish, like between burgers or wings or pizza. Yeah. So where where would this rank in your eating spectrum? Depends on the day, but I would say overall in life, if I had to rank it, I would go third. So it's I, I would say burgers first is is no question my favorite food. Um, it, burger ranks number one every day of the week. Wings are number two uh, historically, historic number two ranking, and pizza is is third. 
third uh, creeping up on wings, uh, creeping up on wings. So, but you, you, and do you think that's because it's hard to eat? It would be hard to eat every day. Or pizza, or pizza or wings? Pizza. I think they're all hard to eat every day, but uh, I, no, I, I think uh, I think it's just because that's what I was more oriented to uh, is uh, eating burgers and wings. You know, when you're young and like a teenager and in college and things like that, burgers and wings, burgers and wings, and burgers and wings. It's it's what it's what your staple of your diet is when you're going to bars and going, you know, hanging out and stuff. When it, then it leads into your late twenties and your thirties. And for me, unfortunately, it it continued on into my into my fifties. So, um, <laughs> well, you could, just you could, I haven't evolved is what all we're trying to say here not evolved well speaking of evolution and just to kind of give an orientation of how seriously you take your food in general but specifically your food sure low well the difference is so uh, like i don't consider myself what the people call a foodie i like low i like good lowbrow food I, i'm not a fancy food eater so i can't like consider myself a foodie i, li I like good lowbrow food yeah but the, but that's that's already coming back in the vogue so you're, you're behind the times here bill um, really yeah. oh yeah yeah okay. so just to give the seriousness of how much you you take pizza eating, mm -hmm. I remember you telling me a story where, um, uh, and this has to do with it was it, it put the relationship to the test, and it was on the brink. Mm -hmm. And I want you. Do you know what story I'm thinking of? I, I well, there's probably several, but I'm guessing it's uh, it's like a, a date with my my then uh, an early date with what is, who is now my wife. The, yeah. woman, the woman who now is so lucky to call herself my wife. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, we, we'd have to get her on here uh, uh, to, to maybe verify that. So we're going to get into the story. But like mm -hmm. when people hear this, yeah. I want them to understand how how seriously did you take this event? Very seriously. Okay, so let's very, get into it. Very serious. I'm going to set the scene. Yep. It's um, how long scenes, have you been? Scenes, scenes from an Italian restaurant. We'll call that if that's not like, you know, stealing a title from uh it's it's fine. From, from so someone. so how how long had you and uh, your now wife Hallie been dating? Uh, it was probably it was definitely in the infancy. So I'm saying a month. A month. Okay. So month one in, mm -hmm. Bill and Hallie on a date. They go in and get some pizza. Yes. Tell the audience what happens. Well, we didn't just go in and get pizza. We we were living in New Haven, Connecticut at the time, and so we went to Pepe's Pizza, which is renowned as having you know the, the best pizza in the country uh, by a lot of people's. Uh, in a lot of people's opinion and by, you know, nationally known. Now it's kind of all over the place in the Northeast. So a lot of people, more people know back, back then it was just Pepe's. There was the, the Pepe's uh, restaurant right on Worcester and there was the little Pepe's, the spot in the back there. So it was just those two spots and it was a, to go there was a destination. I mean, you went there and you knew you waited in line and it was a big deal to go to Pepe's. And so she had never been to Pepe's before. So um, she grew up in the restaurant business, her parents own restaurants. So she, she, she ate at the restaurant <laughs> a, a lot. So, so, uh, we, we were going to Pepe's. So we waited in line, did the whole, you know, wait in line, you know, the excitement of getting your, you know, you called in and table for two and you sit down and you, you order your pizza. So you want me to continue? No, yeah. No. I mean, get to the point at some point, you know, <laughs> if you could. So we order the pizza, it comes and at Pepe's, they laid in their pizza with olive oil. They just, that's how they make their pizza. They put the crust out, they laden it, they, they pour olive oil out of a bottle like it's like Niagara Falls. And that's just part of the deal. And that lends a lot of flavor to their pizza for sure. So my my uh, future wife, then, girl, then girlfriend, um, instead of just the, when the pizza comes piping hot to the table, instead of just taking a slice and eating it, takes a slice, puts it in front of her and takes out a napkin and puts the napkin on top of the pizza to absorb the olive oil. 
and which which people do bill yeah which is like it's just like that's it's it's abhorrent i guess is the only word it's it, it was so it, it it i was so distraught it, i literally i told her and i said what are you doing and she said oh i'm getting up the grease i said that is not grease that is olive oil please do not do that i was like very very upset and like she, she, she was a bit taken aback and I'm not... i i still am i still taken aback it's a miracle y'all married yeah yeah i mean it was i just like you just don't do that that's olive oil it's not grease it's it's olive oil so it's part of the flavor why on earth would you observe if, if you had like you know a, a piece of like i don't know a piece of chicken would you take like off the part that's flavorful like rip it off no that's, that's a... some people don't eat the skin same same people same people who put their fucking who, who, who put uh their napkins on top of pizza but yeah it was a it was a traumatic experience it was a good learning experience for both of us we fought through it and um 30 some odd years later here we are still together so i mean i, th I think it's clear to say um you 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 show you showed your cars early yeah so. yeah so in the in the end it was a good thing um she, she got over and and no this is i'm not exaggerating never has a napkin touched the top of a slice of her pizza since so i don't want to i want to say i bullied, bullied her into it um i just want to say i think i more i showed the light i showed her the light it's like hmm. well in, in speaking of uh showing the light you mentioned one pizza joint already and let's quickly mm -hmm. give the rundown of your the states and your favorite pizza places within that state so and destination worthy in each state yeah, and there's not a lot of states to be honest with you. I mean, there's Connecticut, obviously, because that's where I'm from, and that's where I, I am currently residing uh, is in Connecticut. And uh, I grew I grew up uh, in, in Connecticut, and then I you know moved for college to to the New Haven area. So I was lucky enough to move to basically what is considered the mecca of pizza in the United States in New Haven, Connecticut. So um, and they home of the big three, which is you know modern pizza, Pepe's Pizza, Sally's Pizza. Uh, you know, widely considered the best pizza in the country by 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 everybody, any any right thinking person, anyways. Um, well, then, I mean, that's a, that's there's an element there which I I don't um I do think that they're incredible pizzas. There's mm -hmm. no denying that. But mm -hmm. I mean, New York City is also pretty. I think New York City is overrated for pizza. There, I'm going to put it out there. I mean, New York. Put it so if if you like compare it to like you know Iowa. Yes, New York City has excellent pizza, but overall, I lived in New York for nine, a little over nine years, and been going to New York for umpteen years. I've never found a place. I, I can't picture a place in New York that I'm like, I'm going to get on the train, or I was going to leave my apartment, say specifically to go get pizza because it was in New York. Where in Connecticut, I do that all the time. Where in New York, though, because you did live there, sure. where would you go? Was it, uh, was it is it St. John's or John's place? Am I jo remembering? There's there's John's of Bleecker. So that was the place that everybody pointed me to. And and it's funny. They always pointed and said, well, it's the closest to Pepe's. And I'm like, well, you know, if I really wanted Pepe's, I'd go to Pepe's. But since you were in, in New York, you'd go there. Went there once. We did the line waiting thing. And inside, it's very cool, old school. It didn't even hold a candle to Pepe's, in my opinion. It, it was it was crunchy. It, it had some crisp to it. Had didn't have really any flavor to it whatsoever. So very disappointed that. And the other place, uh, the other place that is uh, up on uh, up right above um, Chinatown, uh, Lombardi's considered, which also always fought Pepe's for the title of the first pizza in the United States. That was another place that everybody sent me to. Like go to Lombardi's, you won't be disappointed. It's brick oven. You know, it it is the quintessential New York pizza. It's the best pizza you could get, and. It, it reminded me of my first trip to In-N-Out Burger, where like people like swore by that and like were like, "Go, go there! You got to go there! It'll change your life." And then not only did you go there and like it wasn't 
great. It was horrible. And, and uh, th their pizza, Lombardi's pizza, was not just not great. It was horrible. It was, I, I, it was like Papa John's. It was really bad. So in New York, I'd say I stick with the slices and, you know, the go-to. And it's always, you know, late night or before you go out is um, was, uh, Joe's. Joe's Pizza, the one, the one down on um, like Bleecker and um, um, like West Fourth Street down in that area was always my always my favorite. You know, you get the big New York, and that that to me that's New York pizza. And well, let, let's let's spell this out because I think there's there's a variety of different kind of pizzas you can get. So when you're looking for a great pizza, pizza, what are you looking for? Sure. So again, Pepe's that's Napoletan pizza. It's you know Neapolitan pizza. It's it's thin crust. It's it's cooked in a uh, a really high uh, like high temperature oven, uh, preferably you know coal fired or wood fired or you know what, whatever it is. It cooks the pizza up quickly, makes the crust crisp, browns up the crust like almost to a black blackened end of it uh, where the where the circumference of the pizza is blackened, and uh, sauce not too sweet. Uh, cheese is not overwhelming. And then the toppings are fresh. So if you go to a good place that, you know, that some places, there's a place in West Haven here in uh, Connecticut that makes their own sausage. So every time we go there, we get their sausage pizza. They make it there. It's, it's an awesome topping. But it's it's really mostly about the crust and uh, crust in the sauce for me. What would be your go-to order? Uh, definitely sausage and peppers pizza is my favorite pizza, without question. If, if what do I you had avoid? Uh, <laughs> like, like most of my life, vegetables. <laughs> So, I mean, I put peppers on pizza, so I guess that considered vegetable, but mushrooms, like, uh, so that was another thing. So my wife always used to order, and this was when, this was when we evolved and we got past the, uh, the olive oil crisis, what we'll call the olive oil crisis of, um, of, of 88, <laughs> whatever we'll call it, however, whatever year that was. Um, so then we, you know, we, Pepe's became a regular in our rotation at that point, and we'd go there and we would always order smalls. So we order small pizzas there. And she would always order a small mushroom and pepper. And I hate mushrooms. I hate them. I hate them on everything. I don't eat mushrooms. And she would order it and eat two slices of it and then eat what I order. Like I'd order like a bacon and onion, which is one of my other favorites there. And yeah, the, the bacon and onions, my favorite. Yeah. But in the, and then the, the, the mushroom and pepper would just sit there. And I, at some point we stopped. I don't know where at some point it took. This took longer than the olive oil thing. But over the years, she has ceased ordering mushroom and pepper just because it just sits there. And she, she's evolved. She's come to see my way, my way of thinking. <laughs> and where do you, cause, um, at Pepe's, what, one of the things that probably made them most famous was their white clam pizza. <sighs> Can't do it. Not a seafood person. Unfortunately, I wish I was because people swear by it. And I've tried to take a couple bites, but my aversion to, to, to seafood is, is pretty strong. I could, I could eat fried clams if they have a lot of breading on them. That's about my limitation with seafood. I feel like I'm missing out. Because, you know, I, I agree I, look, look where I live. I, I could look at I'm staring at the water as we speak uh, as we're doing this podcast. And I do not like seafood. So I, I love seafood, but I just I haven't been able to get around getting it on my pizza. So so, well, so we had we had pizza night. We had pizza uh, the other night. And um, there's a there's a couple who we uh, who we do pizza with. And, you know, we're both we've, we've all had covid. So we're all um all safe, as safe as possible. And one of them actually had their inoculations because they work in the medical industry and same deal they we said you know what kind of pizza want and one of them said they wanted white clam and it's like okay we'll get it and we get it and of course she ends up eating like six fifty percent of the bacon and onion and eats like one slice of white clam so basically we threw away white clam because my wife and i don't eat it and it just you know there's always a thing never listen to the people who want to order something funky on their pizza because in the end they want one slice of it and then they want to eat what you ordered so 
just say no in the end. It's, I always find it best just to say no. Famous last words. So, uh, in going uh, in in this realm where where Bill is uh, setting his or giving his experience and expertise, New Haven, you're saying is the mecca of pizza. Yeah. Rank the pizza joints there in, in New Haven. New Haven in my it's all mm-hmm. so, it, and I never give anybody slack or give anybody any any kind of um, issue for their ranking of it because it's personal and they're all good. So here, here, and it's it's a little different too now with COVID because you don't go sit and eat there anymore, and that makes a no, huge, for, no, for, for, forget forget COVID. Yeah, it makes a huge with, difference. Makes a huge difference now though. But otherwise, if you were able to go sit and eat at a at a at a, what would I choose first to go sit? Probably right now I would go to Modern Pizza if I could go and sit in Modern Pizza and eat. That probably would be my first choice, followed by Pepe's, followed by um, Zupardi's, which is a, a lesser known place in West Haven than Sally's. Um, but the issue is that now like some pizzas travel and some don't. So of those, I would flip it and modern would be my last place I would go. Cause their pizza doesn't travel. You bring it home. It doesn't taste anything like it tastes that modern it tastes like an average pizza. So it doesn't travel where Pepe's and Zupardi's are still awesome when you get them home. So that, that's a big key. One thing we've been doing, cause, uh, we've had a tradition of doing Friday night pizzas is also we get the pizza, but then we, we pop on the oven and we a cast iron dish that we put in the oven and then mm-hmm. it kind of crusts it up a little bit. So For that's sure. really been a big helper to keep it warm. And we do that. Hey, we're going to have a slice in a couple minutes and we'll put it in for two or three minutes and then it, it brings it back to life pretty effectively. I, I have a stone that's nearly 30 years old. Uh, thank knock on wood, it hasn't broken yet and it's jet black and I use it for the exact same thing. It, it does make a huge, huge difference. For some reason, it doesn't help modern pizza when you get it home, but oh, for, really? the rest, for the rest of it, yeah, when we go get a pizza to go, we'll actually, who's ever home, will turn the oven on on like 500 and throw the stone in for like an hour to get it to yeah. where it's like as pizza oven ready as possible. Then you throw the slice on there and it heats up in like three minutes. Yeah, a, yeah. a big uh, a big advocate of that for sure. Well, we've been very uh, East Coast focused here. We've been very yeah. uh, New Haven focused, but there we we have to acknowledge the existence of other kinds of pizza out there. Do we? And 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 yeah, and given my time in the Midwest, you know, and uh, which was in Chicago and, and Ohio, but Chicago's really where this hit home uh, was deep dish pizza. Mm-hmm. What's what's your take on it? I, I, hey, Pete, if it's good, it's good. You know, the, the thing with the deep dish pizza, the sauce is a big key because there's so much sauce on a deep dish pizza a lot of times. And so if it's the sauce isn't good, yeah, no good. I, I've had it. I like it. It's it's just, you know what? You go there and you, you, you I, where, where'd I go? Gino's maybe? Is that one of the big ones? Gino's, sure. Yeah. Gino's I, East I or something. Yeah. There's a, a new Malnati's I think was another yeah. big one. So I've done Chicago a couple of times and hey, you're in Chicago deep dish pizza is the thing. So I, I eat it and it's, it's, it's good. It's I'm not definitely not against it by any way, shape or form. My thing was maybe just don't call it pizza. Like call yeah. it pizza pie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, a, it's a pie. It's, it's certainly a pie. a pie. Yeah. And, and uh, if you call it pizza pie, I would like, I get it and I respect it. But like for me, cause uh, being from New York, I was much more of the thin crust and there's lots of different iterations of that in New York city, right? Like yeah, the different for sure. dough and, um, deep dish is filling the holy crap. Oh I my mean, gosh. One, one slide, like you go there and if you don't know, you don't know, like if it's your first time, you're like, yeah, cause I go to Pepe's, I go to like three smalls or yeah. four oh. smalls or a large, you go to those places like, yeah, let's, I'll get a small sa- a sausage and a so-and-so and then one slice, one <laughs> slice in, you're sitting there with all this pizza. Holy crap. And it weighs, it weighs a ton, a ton, but it's good. You know, if it's good, done, done well, it's done well in Midwest known for its meat. So you get a place that has good sausage on it and, and things like that. It's tasty stuff for sure. I think there's an element though. It also 
it just highlights how important the ingredients are mm-hmm. because y- you need that sauce to be great. You need mm-hmm. the ingredients to be like, it just, it's, it's such a meal and it's so yep. dense. Yeah. Um, we had, we had we, it, we had it last night. It was awesome. It was awesome. So you had deep dish last no, night? No, no, Peppies. I have to go back to Peppies. Yeah. No, I'm, I was talking about with the deep dish. Yeah, with the deep dish. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. All the ingredients need to be there. Otherwise, it, otherwise it could go 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 off the rails. It goes it goes more awry fast versus there's sometimes I can have thin crust and it can be like, yeah, and it's okay. Right. But but because uh, the ingredients aren't great. So I think the distinguishing factor is, of course, always the ingredients and how it's prepared, um, which is why I think the, the restaurants you mentioned really do an excellent job of that. So now, since we always get to my one pet peeve, because as you know, I always have a pet peeve when it comes to any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if, 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 if you would indulge me and you have nothing else to go to say about pizza. Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, is that people who refer to the crust of pizza at the end as the ends. So I don't eat, I don't eat the ends of my pizza. So I eat, get a slice of pizza. I eat it. I eat the pizza and I leave the end part. And people always say, how, why don't you eat the crust? And I'm like, well, I do eat the crust. The crust is what's at the bottom of the pizza. The end is not the, the end is part of the crust for sure, but it is not the crust. So people who say you don't eat your crust, it, that would mean that you actually suck the cheese and sauce off the top of the pizza and don't eat it. That's what don't not eating your crust means. So it's always, I, I, always bugging. I think we probably had this argument. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just such an interesting hill to die on each time. Yeah, I know. But it's, I mean, people always say like, oh, you don't, yeah, why don't you eat your crust? I said, I did eat my crust. If I didn't eat my crust, the ends wouldn't be there. But I'm just curious, like, I mean, this is, this is a battle that you, you willingly engage in every time. hundred percent. Yeah. It's annoying. I hate, you know, man, I don't like to be annoyed. I like to be annoying. I don't like to be annoyed. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. No. And, so you, you know, you, you, you know see me say that to how many people probably oh, okay. in your life? That's, that's what I was about to say. Is like the more annoying part here, Bill, is <laughs> you, you know it's you know it's coming. You know it's coming. You know it's there coming. Are, there are times that I try and antagonize it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I was like, uh, you know, where I will prompt like, "Are you going to eat the rest of that?" And like, "No, I don't eat the fill in the blank." And and then I was like, "Yes, yes, I know where it's going." So yeah, so, I hear you. So tell me what what is my more annoying uh, dining habit when you're with me? Is the the, the crust the crust comment that you know I'm going to make, or is it the fact that if someone at a table is next to me is having a slice of pizza that I've never had that topping before before, and I asked them if I could have a piece? I you know I kind of um, <clears throat> so Bill. Anytime we go out to eat, uh, and again this is pre-COVID, would basically always be angling to taste anyone's food that he could see. And, uh, yeah, it not, was really not necessarily at our, at our table. That's no, that's what I mean. It'd be like anywhere that you're, you happen to go in the bathroom, like, Oh, that looks really good. And <laughs> and you get, you get hyper insulted if they don't offer it to you, which is you are a stranger. So I got over that just cause what I did was, here's what I did, Bill, is I flipped that to be like, Oh, I actually, res- I don't like it, but I respect the play. Appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it. Because you're that. also like, you're basically like getting free meals. And, and I think I, actually, <laughs> it's true. And I think I actually texted you when this whole COVID thing hit and said, the worst thing about this is that I can no longer ask strangers at restaurants if I could taste their food. <laughs> How many years before you think that comes back into play? I don't know if it ever will. I mean, people, well, put it this way. How long before I ask somebody or how long until somebody gives it to Give me? both. <laughs> Give both. What's the timeline? I'm not sure. We could be talking years, man. It's sad. That's, it's a sad state I, of affairs. I actually think two years before you start and five years before culture comes back. Yeah. <laughs> 
that they would even do it. I'd sign up for that right now because I think it's going to be longer than that. I, I would yeah. sign up for that right now. Hey, there's nothing better than like looking over and t- pointing to some guy, and you know, and you know, you can always tell who's going to be good about it and who's not going to be good about it. And you point point over at one guy and you say, "Hey, what is that?" And they're like, "Oh, it's really good." And I say, "God, you mind if I get it? Get a big?" If 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 he's a really cool guy, he'll offer before you ask, or a yeah. cool one, they'll offer before yeah. you ask. So, but there's also times where you will ask the person knowing that there's less than a fifty percent chance that you, they will do it, but you still ask because you're so into what they're eating. Yes, hundred percent. And you want and you don't want to order it because what if it sucks? And then you spent like the twenty bucks or whatever, and it stinks. It's more for the next time because you're usually typically full at that point and you want to know because the next time you're there like, well, I'm going to get that. Man, that was awesome. Thank you. And in the end, it's it's kind of a thrill for the other person, you think, too. I think there was a Seinfeld episode about this, like where I, Elaine asked I, for food off of somebody's plate at a Chinese restaurant. But yeah, there's a thrill for the for the person. It's a story for them to tell when they get home. Yeah, I was at this restaurant in New York and some guy came up and asked me if I could make have a bite of his food. I mean, sure, Bill, this is your world and we're just living in it. So Thank you. I, I, yeah. appreciate, I appreciate it. You've always been flexible. So, all right, let's. Uh... One last story on that. And I don't know if, it, if it's, it's very, very um, um, pointed towards one person, our favorite PSA squash announcer, since we're going to now transition to PSA squash. Sure. I, I was once dining with um, with Joey Barrington and um, un, unbeknownst, I, I barely knew, knew him when we were doing this. And um, he was eating something at a restaurant and we were sitting next to each other. And I asked him if I could have a bite. And he looked at me and he did let me have some of it. And afterwards, all the other people at the table said he is going to be traumatized for like days and years because of what you just said. He never shares his food. Like it's like the worst thing you could ask him. And <laughs> if I remember correctly, he then didn't finish his meal. He didn't. He, he was traumatized. Yeah. No, talk, and it, and right, the talk. good news is this was only happened about, you know, eight or nine years ago. And we still have to hear about it every time. So thank you. It was uh, just it wasn't that long ago. But yeah, it, it, it traumatized him. So funny, funny story. Funny to me. But we, we, we move on. Yeah. Well, let's get uh, let's get in front of the big story. Bill, do you want to kind of introduce the topic? So um, big announcement, uh, I believe, came out on uh, Thursday about uh, the PSA, the Professional Squash Association, uh, signing an agreement with Infront, uh, which is a huge media company owned by Wanda, which is a huge Chinese conglomerate, I guess. is I don't know if there's a better way to put that. Um, basically, they made a financial investment where they have a stake in PSA Squash to bring their media presence where they're going to control their TV rights. They're going to control how the events are run, how events are streamed, how they mentioned gambling and betting and their digital presence. It sounds like a huge deal. Again, Whenever I read things like that, like press releases like that, the details are so there's no real details to them. So I'm always curious, like, what does that mean? And to the layperson, what does that mean? And I asked around a lot to like squash folks that I know, like, do they know what it means? And everybody was of the same mind, like not quite. It sounds awesome. This the the the, uh, the group sounds legit and that they're going to it's a big deal. But details are missing. So what does this exactly mean? So hoping that maybe you could help out since you you uh, you seem to know a bit more about this deal than I do. Yeah. And I should preface this where this is a lot of, um, it's part speculation and mm-hmm. part extrapolation. Mm-hmm. And so this is me, because I do, I just love this stuff where I'll look into other sectors and industries, everything, you know, from the tech sector or private equity side of, of why certain deals happen or don't. And then also you can see small announcements like this or seemingly small or not clear. And then if you fast forward three years, five years, 10 years later, what has transpired? So 
right. a lot of this is, let me go, and so that's what I mean by speculation. Like, we don't know how this is going to turn out. But right now, as it stands today, my personal opinion is this is the biggest deal ever in the history of squash. Wow. And I'll, we'll go into more detail, but and another way of phrasing that is I think this will have most amount of impact on the trajectory of the sport, and we've all had aspirations of growth. We've all had sort of concepts of how it could happen. Here, I think, is an alignment of uh, it's foundational. It's setting a new direction, and we have an engine in a partnership that we can now drive it to the heights that we want it to go. Right. And, and that would actually have been a much cooler press release. So that was awesome. <laughs> I'm inspired now. So with that, again, few details in, in that statement, but could I ask you some specific questions on Go things for it. and as best to your ability, you answer them yeah. for me. So first off, I guess everybody talks about TV and squash being on television and how it's streamed and how it's presented to the, and obviously a big deal on the popularity and the growth of a sport is how many eyes you could put uh, uh, it in front of. So what would this mean for television, for streaming and for getting more people to see squash, to watch squash? It's a really good question. And thank I think, you, thank, thank you. The big thing here is, and, and I'm, this is not my field of expertise. So I need mm. to preface it here. So, mm -hmm. and this is why, look, this company and the PSA have already demonstrated high success. And let's go down towards the PSA because I have seen this evolution take places. And we have to delineate broadcasts in a couple different categories domestic, sure. international. Mm -hmm. So, domestic is wherever the country of origin where you live in. And then linear TV and digital. So linear so, TV, explain is that regular TV, what I think of as watching NBC? You got it, okay. right? And you can see early on, and this was like, you know, let's, let's just use 2010 as really when the PSA was starting to hit new, was really getting organized behind their broadcast rights and production. So you have to go production first, and, mm -hmm. and then you get distribution. So they really went we weren't getting attention on broadcast because of the way that the landscape was set up. It was just no one cared about squash as a sport as much, I should say. So what we did was, uh, what the PSA did was they went direct to consumer, so creating an OTT platform over the top and allowing, that's what we kind of know as squash TV. Mm -hmm. And then we started trying to get on digital assets like ESPN3 was one of the biggest in the US that we were on, right? Right. Then there was a deal with the tennis channel, again, digital only versus right. linear and broadcast. So that just shows that early on, we were perfecting the broadcasting of what we could do both on the production side and getting pretty good distribution deals considering where we were in the sport and right. the landscape. Right. If you fast forward more recently, one of the announcements that I don't think really broke through was the partnership with Facebook. Yeah. So this has been what is really already transpiring is there's we need to be wherever the consumer is and it's really on their phones on their ipads on their desktop as well as the smart tvs so i don't think we care how people watch it and that's what we need to make sure our distribution channels reach there and broadcast is really going way down so it's all about digital uh rights and where we are so so look could, at, I, could I break in just there and ask a question and just is just for someone who doesn't know, and maybe this is not, maybe this is a dumb question. So when it come, came to like tennis channel, ESPN three, and now Facebook, do, does the PSA pay them? They pay the PSA. How, how does that work? Who makes money from that? Or is there no money to be made? Is it more of just a trade-off? I, I am, um, 
A, I'm not sure what I can disclose or not. Sure. So 100%. Okay. Th there's that. But then even when it's it's a hybrid, it, it, it just depends on who wants it and how and for what reason. Okay. So within each specific deals, I won't speak to, but there are when it's aligned towards, hey, this is really good content and we're going to track the demographic that is we think we wouldn't reach otherwise. And that um, maybe we have, a, I mean, it's a marketplace environment. A lot of this is ad based. Mm -hmm. So, or, or sponsorship, or you want to get the word out. So it's, hey, we have these people watching it and this audience will tune in. What advertisers or sponsors do want to be recognized? Right. I mean, right. Let's, let's break this down to last week when we're talking about the Super Bowl. <laughs> Look, it's all about, it's in advertising. Yeah. Yeah, so Game. that's where the only money is be to, to be made, right? Unless you're purchasing subscriptions, which, you know, to watch it on a subscription base. Yeah. So no doubt that, and, and that what we can also reference as just kind of a monetization strategy. Right. And right. And whether that's sponsorship or advertising or, 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 or rights fees. So the NFL is really probably best in class about leveraging their league structure to get the best deal for each team. So, so as part of this, as an as a as a U.S. resident, would you say uh, the the not a goal, but is it feasible to say that some Saturday afternoon, as part of this, when it's like this time of year and there's no uh, football on anymore, and it's this this time of year where really the only thing for sports this weekend on is golf and like NBA basketball, that I could flip on NBC and uh, there'll be a squash tournament on on like a Saturday afternoon. It's hard to say, to be honest. Is and that the is that the goal, though? I mean, is that or is that not even the goal? I, in this case, so let let me go back to why I think this is a big deal. Okay, right. And there's two because then um, a what was an, made in the announcement was that the the PSA is creating a new entity called Squash Media and Marketing. Yep. Which at its core, the the PSA, the Professional Squash Association, has been a membership organization for the players. And so there are certain elements where now there's a recognition that, hey, we need an arm that is really looking at how to commercialize the sport and monetize the sport. And that's involved on, you know, at the, at the, at the top of the level of the tour. So the other tour structures that are out there are PGA or ATP, right? So tennis mm -hmm. and golf. And I think what we have is with Infront is not only I mean, there are strategic partners as well as where it sounds like we're aligned because what I'm drawing out here is in front will acquire a minority stake in squash media and marketing, a newly created PSA entity. Right. So they've and, made it. They've made a monetary investment. A, a they've taken a financial stake in this. Uh, unlike we did. The PSA just didn't hire them to go out and, you know, market PSA. That's, that's what it sounds like. So. There's different ways you can acquire a minority stake. You know, mm -hmm. like, look, you can call that sweat equity. You can pay for that. There's mm -hmm. different ways that, but what this really highlights is, and will manage and exploit the commercial rights for the PSA. Right. So, I mean, this is, you have a strategic partner and you're aligned. Mm -hmm. That's huge. So there's a lot of stuff in this, in this area. I don't know, but you're going to be in terms of what is the best to get towards monetization. So I'm going to leave that in the hands of them. Like they're going to know better than just me guessing. I do think the opportunity is if you look at how golf is presented, you look at how tennis is presented, what can we learn? What are the lessons that we can learn as a tour to then kind of fill those gaps? Because we do have flexibility. Right, right. So so I'm just wondering monetization. So let's talk about that. So what does that mean? So uh, obviously I know what the word monetization means, but sure. are, are like, so we're talking gambling, 
Uh, I know they mentioned they actually mentioned betting right in the press release, which was which after what we talked about last week of uh, you know uh, betting apps and things like that. So um, the, the that, that seems to be the hot button issue with every sport at this point. And you know, we, we, we I went down after uh, after we did our episode last week talking about it. You know, I want to become more knowledgeable about that, and because I know I in my heart of hearts, I know that's going to be the future of all sports is going to be this online gambling. And I went and. I, I, I would say when you're looking at this is that there's we want to be thinking of multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So betting and that is a huge revenue stream opportunity. Huge. When you look at sponsorship deals, that's a huge revenue opportunity and there's different ways of car- carving out sponsorship. There's tour sponsors, there's specific event sponsors, right? There's then advertising sponsors that you can do. So within each category there's multiple different ways to then uh, or different hooks or angles to get other monetization strategy. We haven't even talked about, you know, fan engagement strategy. Yeah. So is that tick? That's kind of like ticket sales, but also I think there's huge digital opportunity. So look at cameo or how does uh, Ali Farag or Amanda Sobe then give birthday shout outs that then they can get, you know, uh, on cameo, which is a, a platform that gets celebrity shout outs. You can charge 200 bucks for that. Yeah, I so, mean, I, I charge fifty, so I think Holly Farah could definitely get two hundred. Yeah, so no react, no reaction there, huh? So uh, let let let's go back to um to, to monetization uh, and and the and the deal and the financial stake. I, I mean, overall, you're saying you think it's the most impactful thing to happen to professional squash. So impactful. So I see the PSA and there's PSA events and you know a lot of people don't they're broken down and the PSA runs the this event and the World Championships and things such as that. So how does this would affect like a a like an event that happens in the United States, say like the Windy City Open or say the a challenger event that takes place down in uh, Texas. Like uh, how how does this deal affect that or, or does it not? No, it's it's the right question to be asking. And now what you can already see is, you know, 10 years ago, the PSA really did a, a great job of reorganizing the top level events, right? And so there was no, um, it was year to year calendar, Right. Like th- this is really hard to plan behind. And what you want are think if the master's event in golf was going to be on sometimes or off, you can't build fan loyalty. Think of the U.S. Open tennis like, mm-hmm. uh, hey, maybe this won't be there next year. And that was the existential challenge that I'm, I'm going to I'm going to use just 2010 as kind of an anchor moment. And what the PSA tour did a great job of was creating kind of this these mainstay events so that what you want to get is the top part of the sport. Right. Um, anchored. Yep. And it's more akin to a blend of the ATP or tennis with like, hey, the US Open, you have the British Open, right? Wimbledon and US Open. Right. And and the the golf tour. So majors. So I think we're really at a point where there's flexibility to we can redefine what that might mean for the sport. And mm-hmm. I have no preference. It's just what will be most successful. But then you go down to and this is, Bill, where I think you, you have a much better sense of if you think of golf and the level down, like the European series in golf is like a big thing, right? Um, well, yeah. I mean, in Europe, for sure. That's what I mean. So what you want to go is break this down into uh, territories and make it meaningful there. And so I do see that there's uh, an American Challenge series that could be very meaningful. Yeah, I could see that. And and that would be – so when we focus on TOC or Tournament Champions, U.S. Open and Windy City Open – like those are the, the majors in the U.S., but then there's a whole body b- beneath that. And that's where I think the, the real growth opportunity will come. 
And so is there also the thought that this this will finally be the, I mean, for w- whether you think it's the end all be all or not, will this be what, what gets squashed into the Olympics? Is this this partnership and how it's monetized and how, how it changes the, the way that uh, TV deals are done and people's eyeballs in front of the sport, will this, will this finally be the thing that pushes it over the line? That's why I think that this is, if we got into the Olympics today, Right, so let's say if we had to choose in front or the Olympics, mm-hmm. I would still pick in front. Right, the deal with in front because it gives us the best opportunity of getting into the Olympics. Versus, we're in the Olympics now. We're gonna ca- get a cash infusion. Our all of our athletes and all of our federations and everyone's gonna be so excited. Mm-hmm. But then it's if you look at the vulnerability of other sports that are already in the Olympics. So take table tennis or badminton. Right. Where if you take away the Olympics, it's it's not as solid. Right. Right. So here we have the ability to build a strong foundation that regardless of being in the Olympics or not, we're going to be really proud. Like right now, you know, we're proud of the sport, but we want to grow more. So this foundationally is a bigger deal to me. Right. Right. So at the end of the rainbow, uh, this this deal works out and things things could not go better than with this deal. And it's a 10 year, I think it's a 10 year deal or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. what I read. Nine year, I think nine, yeah. nine year deal. What, what do you see at the end of this deal? Like wh- where is squash at the end of this deal? And look, you're, you're always a big thinker and a, you know, big ideas and where, where a sport could go. Like, where is it? We're, we're sitting here nine years from now and this deal ends and we're like, wow, that was awesome. Look at squash now because. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, this will help you we're going to see a, a trickle down effect here that we're going to get some, if successful means that we're getting some global tour sponsors. So let's say a Mercedes Benz, let's mm-hmm. say Audi, like you get these really great car companies involved. Maybe it's Tesla, right. but I know that they don't do it. Then you get these other tour sponsors. So maybe it's CIB or maybe it's JP Morgan, you name it American express that you're starting to see more of an alignment of what you you're used to recognizing on the Gulf Tour, right that's what i'm on wondering the tennis tour yeah right so i think that gives this this opportunity to get there um so this is i think millions of dollars if not you know it'd be great to get into you know hundreds of millions of dollars flowing through into the sport right so that's so you, what i see so you're thinking that as opposed to like these tournaments in the united states anyways which i could we could only that i could speak to that instead of having to scramble to get a sponsor new sponsor every year and make sure that they're it's going to be this level event every year that like it'd be like the farmer's insurance golf tournament where the ceo is there we've just signed a 12-year deal with this thing and we're going to sponsor this thing for the next 12 years and it's going to be great and he's being interviewed during the broadcast it's on nbc yeah i mean what you want to think of is as good alignment of 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 sponsorship alignment. So that's why I was kind of going more luxury brand of like Rolex. No, I'm just, kind of, so, just throwing it out there. But but yeah, no. So I think, yes, by having the broadcast rights and and that kind of stuff aligned, it gives confidence to big name brands that are used, that are highly sophisticated to get, uh, that have the confidence to get involved in the sport. And I think squash is actually underpriced attention for who it reaches. Mm-hmm. So there's a really good value proposition to uh, any sponsor to say, look, do you want to access this high net worth community? And I'm speaking more in the U.S. Yeah, I know right. this is true across the rest of the globe. But again, I know my swim lane, it's the U.S. market, that you can really get access to this high net worth individual. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And and what, what I would see is with an engine like in front and where the PSA already has gone, 
by itself like this is huge and 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 we can use the the think of how much us squash has done by itself bill without you know significant third party investment like we we've done a significant amount of fundraising but we haven't gotten sponsorship levels to where we would want so if you get outside investment coming in that means you can take the event load off of individual promoters you can create more uh, marketing opportunity around that and the hybrid level there you've got global sponsorships you have tour sponsorships you then go down to United States sponsorships. Then you go down to specific event sponsorship. I mean, there's a whole menu of how this all works. And I think now we have a chance at this. Yeah, exciting for sure. I, I keep going back to the to the, to the gambling part of it and the betting part of it, only because it's, I, it, it's in the release. And can you imagine a, 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 um, a press release going on out like this five years ago that mentions betting like as part of the deal? Never, right? No, I... A hundred percent, because I think that there's there's stigmas involved with that. Yeah, um, I think that we're seeing a legalization that uh, America is woefully behind in this in this arena. Yeah, in Europe, sure. where where I grew up, you know, for thirteen years. I mean, you're walking to the train station and you see betting stations. Like it's very prevalent in other areas. It's it's very legal. It's very commonplace. So betting is a huge part of the culture. So much so that it's not even a big deal. Right. Right. And like and. and and in America, I think we have huge appetite for that mm -hmm. just from knowing fans, I mean, friends and, you know, we get behind the Super Bowl or March Madness. We have huge appetite yet. And it hasn't been fully embraced from a legal point. So right. as soon as that alignment comes, I, and I do know that the um, what I think can happen is when you get alignment towards that of like, hey, here's a billions of dollars betting going on and it's going or hundreds of millions in our sport potentially or millions and that the tour should benefit from that. So yeah, it's yeah. a huge revenue stream opportunity. I don't know enough about it, but if it's coming in, I think that there's an opportunity to get that for sure. I think the tax, just the tax revenue for the States is going to be the impetus for all these States to legalize it. We, we were, we were talking the other day, we, we went on, I went down a bit, bit of a rabbit hole of gambling after our last podcast. And we discovered uh, that the amount of money being bet on table tennis uh, around the world right now is just staggering uh, because, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of sports closed. So there wasn't as much sports betting available, but uh, ping pong or table tennis in Russia didn't stop. And it was being run in these little parlors downstairs oh, wow. and, and people were betting literally so, millions and millions of dollars online for in Russian ping pong. Oh my God. So where, so where did you, you see this? Uh, I just, I Googled it. I, I was just Googling different stickers. We were talking about different states that allow uh, um, legalized gambling, like online yeah. gambling. And we thought it might just be um, uh, Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania, but it turns out Colorado, Colorado also oh, allows really? it. As long as you go through one of the, um, the thing, one of the, uh, you know, designated thing uh, that they designate legal in Colorado and in, in Colorado, people during the pandemic were going crazy for <laughs> Russian ping pong. And just, what, just amazing. What, I mean, we're talking. Could you do it online, or did you have to go in person? No, online. You could draw. I mean, it, it was legal, so you could use Fanduel. You could also go. You could go out to the casino for sure. And they have they had like twenty casinos listed uh, that I read. But the, each casino also has online now. When you have wow. the legality there and the the revenues, you know, think about Colorado being in front of all of this with um, you know legalized marijuana and now in legalized gambling, the the tax streams that they're getting uh, for for both of those uh, so called vices that were taboo you know, even five years ago. So it, pretty incredible. Just more incredible I thought about it was table tennis and the amount of things you could bet on table tennis is just incredible. Ridiculous. Like what's an example of that? So spreads, money line, just like we talked about with squash, yeah. whether some guy was going to win that an individual game by a certain amount of points. The under overs were huge, whether the total number of points that were going to be uh, 
that were going to be scored in a in a game, even though it's a finite, you get to a, whatever it is, 11 to win, whether the opponent was going to get eight or seven. And we're talking, some guy made like $400,000 on it betting. And he said, you know, I used to lose my shirt in football. Now all I do is bet Russian ping pong. No way. So you think about ping pong, how, how you know, Russian, like squash. Squash is going to be, yeah. you know, it's m- much more mainstream. Can you imagine like the, the revenue that could be generated from a squat, uh, you know, watching a single squash match? And just like in tennis, there's in the first rounds, there's 32 matches going on on the same day sure. a lot of times. So exciting to see where that's going to go. And just it stuck out to me in the press release that the PSA put out that betting was included. It, it really like jumped out at me. So, so using the example, you just said the gentleman off of one tournament or in a year made 400,000 uh, for the year. Yeah. For the oh, year. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for the oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take and, a big, big risk otherwise. So, so, so take, take it. It just shows people will bet on anything. And so if you show somebody a great product and some, you know, and, and you can imagine watching squash and seeing like playing in front of the pyramids or somewhere else, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, like what, what a, a great thing that would be for people to look at that. It would, it would attract eyeballs for sure. And it definitely would attract the, uh, the betting dollars. I think so. And, you know, another way of framing that is I think just around fan engagement. And if we're reframing, I think there's an opportunity that we are, that that squash is hitting an evolution point at the right time of when digital is just so huge. I mean, yeah. he, here's what I you can foresee in however many years, like one, two, three, five, it doesn't matter. But you're watching it either on your phone or on your iPad, but that you can toggle between a, maybe multiple courts going on at once. Mm-hmm. So why do we have to watch one court? Um, you can also be like, hey, I'm interested in betting. And then you can get all of the bets just in your in that same portal. Right. You could also be switching between commentating, either no commentating, you've got Joe and PJ, or you can also go, hey, maybe, Bill, you want to get on the mic and you can do your own stream. Or someone else like in your friend group could watch it on Facebook and then you're commentating and there's just a live chat. Like think of video games. Yeah. and how people engage with that. And it's just friends trying to play a game and just chatting. So the future of digital plus whatever you're doing is huge. The The prospect of Nickelodeon squash is just, you know, it's exciting. You know, it's paint splashing and getting a, getting. Oh, yeah. Sl- somebody, somebody hits a neck and all of a sudden a bucket of paint drops on their head. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, I mean, I, I slimed, like it. They get slimed. Entertainment squash, I think, is a huge opportunity yeah. to explore. And when you look at, um, so let's separate the tour from entertainment. I mean, there are people like Hisham Ashur, which is so much fun to watch play. Like, he was just such a talented, fun person on court. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Jonathan Power, yeah. just huge entertainment value. Uh, John White. So I think there are, there are players who are really aspiring towards being world number one. But then there's really this whole entertainment level. Yeah, that is out there to explore. So exploiting the personalities of the game w- will be huge, and if they they could help with that also to you know make these people an entity and you know make people say, hey, I know so and so's you know Sarah Jane Perry's playing at noon. I want to tune in and watch her because I just saw her story. That's, that's that, yeah, that, that'll be a key element of it for sure. I mean, the biggest way that this is demonstrated is that every time the Olympics comes around, is we don't know many of the sports that we're watching nor the rules, but what gets us into it is hearing that person's backstory. So it's it's really what sells the right. sport overall. Right. And, and that's where, when you look at the client list that um, Infront has, is this is, they know this. Not only do they know this, then they know how to do it to get it done. Well, I look forward to more details coming from the PSA on this uh, to, to really, you know, because we're, we're speculating, uh, you know, what, what this might mean and we don't have a yeah. lot of the details. 
really looking forward to uh to, to hearing more about this so this is really exciting and i think a shot in the arm no no uh, no vaccine humor intended here uh for the sport so i love it connor last word you know this was your podcast this time usually i dominate the podcast people were even saying like you know when will connor contribute to the podcast so this was your day to shine so i want to give you the last word i think i'll just go back to it's hard for people to understand where this could lead. And I get it. It's just because I've seen this multiple times where small agreements like this, but kind of, again, like the speculation and extrapolation that I've seen in other industries and even, you know, with with actually look at U.S. squash. I mean, when the governance restructure was announced by U.S. squash and I forget if it was 2006 or seven, that wasn't a big deal, but it allowed for the entire five-year growth that we experience in that five year and, and still going on. So these foundational moves are what allow for anything to grow. And that's why I'm really excited about this. So this is the last time we give you the last word because these are the last words, usually something funny and leaves the leaves the uh, the audience with a smile on their face. And I can't wait to listen to the next podcast. And I almost fell asleep when you said that. So um, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bill. As Connor, always. Once again, a pleasure. Uh, are we, are, I, I hate to ask. Is there going to be a slight delay and then fan follow-up? Fan follow-up is coming up next. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry I mentioned it. See you, Connor. See you. Hey, quick time out to hear a word from our sponsor. Biosport shoes are designed for racket sport players by racket sports players with the knowledge that if a shoe can withstand the rigors of squash, then it will have no problem holding up for any other indoor court sport. No matter what your sport, the Bia Force X is the performance shoe of choice for competition at the highest level. So it would mean a lot if you go to biasports.us. That's B-I-A sports with an S dot U-S. Check out their website. But even better, take their new Bia Force X for a test drive. Bill, thank you again. This is your favorite segment. And we're trying to, you know, at Squash Radio and The Breakdown, trying to do new segments all the time. This is one of your favorites, I know, and it's the fan follow-up. So at this point, I'm resorting to begging. Somebody follow up. <laughs> Bill, that is not accurate. Oh, damn it. I, I, we do these shows. That is not accurate. I, don't, I think I want somebody to follow up and say, dude, you guys suck. Just give us some follow-up. I, I don't want to, I get texts from my friends and stuff, but I want somebody who we don't know to write to squashradio at gmail.com and follow up so we could talk about your fan follow-up so fan follow-up will be a thing. I don't want Dan Heinrich to call me because he was uh, texted us because he was upset that we made fun of the fact that he made a ranch. We used, he used ranch dressing on his buffalo wings. That was the extent of our fan follow-up for the last episode. Bill, I think you're also misreading this because anyone that listens to the show is technically a fan. So sure. you've, you've gotten... If under that definition, I think, and by the way, a lot more people are going to you than to me because you are the, you know, the main star of this. Uh, we're getting a lot of fan follow-up. So that's why I even came up with the segment that I think we should talk about this. Yep. So let's dig in. We've got a few things to go through. Okay. Uh, Dan Heinrich, give us the 30-second the wrap-up of, of his fan follow-up. Uh, 
he was very disappointed that I had never let him know, even though I did let him know that uh, I would no longer go out for buffalo wings with him because he ordered ranch instead of blue cheese. And he was he almost got a little bit too deep into detail and why he couldn't eat blue cheese. So I want to subject our audience to that. But he he followed up and uh, he, he, he was just disappo- disappointed. He said that I hadn't let him know. And he looks forward to the next time that we'll eat buffalo wings together. So well, well so that that feels like an olive branch was extended. Are you going to take it or are you going to crush it? And yeah, throw it back in his face. Well, crush it because he's not going to order blue cheese. So no. So Dan, Dan and I's uh, much anticipated uh, reun- blue uh, buffalo wing reunion will not be happening. Did you let him know? Let him down easy. Let him down easy. Well, or is this? Is this? You want to send <laughs> Dan? If you're Dan, if you're listening, dude, sorry, not going to happen. <laughs> All right. A- any other? Uh, uh, well, you were giving me some feedback about my friend's recipe. Do you want to read that out oh, loud? Oh, no, I don't want to read it out loud. Um, well, well, you want to read it? You want to read read the text that I the text exchange? So your friend, who I didn't know it was your friend, we were talking about when we did this, who was telling me about how he did um, did his buffalo wings with cornstarch, and I threw some hate on it because it's not a, do you, you want know. me to read it? Let me just read it. Okay. Got it. So this was, um, uh, my friend followed up saying, Hey, you know, was kind of interested about this. You know, if he had a smoker, cause Bill was talking about having a smoker and he was like, that would be really cool. You know, he's curious about this marinade idea and all this stuff. Right. So Bill ever, uh, willing to just embrace new concepts and ideas and always treat everyone friendly. A lot of people new to cooking think that. As they mature as a cook, they evolve and learn that by using shortcuts such as cornstarch to make things crispy wings, they're only really cheating themselves and people they share their cooking, if you can call it that. You wouldn't want to keep the training wheels in your bike your whole life, would you? So as I said to him, a lot of people new to cooking think that. In other words, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, And I said, as they mature as a cook, they evolve and learn that by using shortcuts, such as cornstarch to make crispy wings, they are really only cheating themselves and the people they share their cooking with, if you could call it cooking. And then I said, just to, just to make it something he could understand, because he obviously he's not a cook because he's using cornstarch to make wings. I said, you wouldn't want to keep the training wheels on your bike for your whole life, would you? Yeah. So I'm just saying you're you're purposely trying to be insulting, right? Yeah. Oh, thousand okay. percent. Thousand percent. Great. Yeah. I mean, he, he was questioning my techniques and, you know. I think engaging with your techniques is another way of phrasing it. But so, so in the future, if you're going to fan follow up, I want you to like be positive. <laughs> I forget strike what I said before about saying we suck. Then you know, be be positive. Well, right. I, I, another, I will another, t- another exciting addition of fan follow up. Yeah, I'll, I'll we'll take any feedback. Uh, squashradio@gmail.com. But yeah. what uh, any any other uh, fan follow ups you want to mention? People were very excited to hear about chicken wings. The biggest fan follow up I'm getting now is people. It's funny nobody wants to t- us to talk about squash anymore. Now the biggest fan follow up people want us to talk about golf because the hair is talking oh, about golf. Right? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of texts from friends saying, "Hey, are you going to do a golf episode?" And our and shout out to uh, to our 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 number one of our biggest fans, uh, Timmy Lasusa, who wants to be part of the golf podcast. He says, "I want to I want to be part of the golf podcast." So we uh, we'll have to make that happen. Well, I, I agree, and I think there's going to be a uh, a few different ways that we engage with him for sure. But it, I think he uh, didn't he also give a kind of shout out and of a different kind. Uh, oh, yes, he did. One hundred percent. This is all bad. I mean, he said that your uh, interview, your long form interview on Squash Radio with uh, Manasobi, he threw the must listen tag on it. So he was wow. very complimentary about it and said must listen. So awesome job. That was a great interview, Connor. Um, I know I, I tend not to focus on the other segments of Squash Radio other than the, the breakdown. So uh, kudos to you and thanks, Timmy. 
All right. Well, I think, I think we can done. wrap up your favorite favorite segment. Favorite segment. Another week gone. We look forward to the next segment and the next uh, episode of The Breakdown. Hey, shout out, by the way, shout out to your cousin, Kaylee. How's my voice, Kaylee? What's up? Sup? Sup, Kaylee? Not a real name. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in and tune in next week for The Breakdown. See you, Connor. <laughs>